Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Richie Stedman and D-Bays are going to ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. Uh, we have Richie from the Cultural Hall podcast. He's going to be co-hosting. Some articles that we'll discuss are Charlie Burr, the Cosmo the Cougar. He gets engaged to another man. And that's quite controversial. Church announces background checks in the United Kingdom. An LDS couple is savagely mocked on Twitter for their supposed anti-gay rights stance, and Elder Soros has gone live on Chilean television. You're not going to want to miss a minute of this episode. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send me an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B. I just want to uh, make, make this uh, everyone aware that, hey, we've also got, uh, I started a TikTok, uh, TikTok account here. Actually, this is an Instagram account. I uploaded a number of shorts. I cut up some episodes, got some fun, interesting content there. And hey, I also started a TikTok account. I finally got around to uploading a bunch of shorts into there. Um, so we've got some really fun content out there for, for everybody. And uh, uh, this is going to be a tremendous episode. I'd like to invite onto the program Richie Stedman. Welcome to the Mormon News Roundup. Well, thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Well, it's a great honor to be here. Uh, Richie, uh, for those who don't know you, um, who are you? What, what, who are you? Can you briefly explain yourself? Well, uh, I am, uh, as Facebook would tell you, I am a father, a dreamer, a lover of ice cream. I do uh, podcast consulting, and I've hosted a radio show for BYU Radio for a couple of years. I uh, produced uh, an alternative rock station for 15 years, their morning show, uh, born and raised in salt lake city utah spent some time in cleveland on a religiously affiliated vacation and uh, then i went to clown college in chicago illinois and then back here living in taylorsville utah uh where i do and i want to correct you i i hate to be that guy that corrects from straight out of the gate you called the cultural hall a, a podcast and it is a show available in podcast form so i i don't want to be uh I, even though it says i know i know it, says it, it does literally podcast. say on it, it literally says, Richie, on your podcast, it says your title of your podcast is the Cultural Hall Podcast. Is, is that do I have that wrong? Or? Sure. No, no, it's it's correct. But if you've listened for any amount of time, you'll know it's sort of an inside joke that we call it a show available in podcast form. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's a podcast. It is something that you can, you know, stream or get on your devices and find it wherever you find uh, the Mormon News Roundup. Sure. Yeah. You, you have a very popular Facebook page here. 10,000 followers. You're posting all of the time here. What type of uh, content do you post on your Facebook page? Well, this, uh, our Facebook page is the same like with uh, our Twitter and everything else. It's anything that has to do with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It can be uh, directly uh, correlated or it can be really super tangential. We can have something where you know, so someone uh, we assume to be a member of the church did something in a different state, you know, started a restaurant or committed a crime or whatever the thing may be. Uh, we'll post that on our social media. That's that's sort of our qualifier. And even if it's not really, really close or even really, really far away, if we just want to uh, share that particular thing, we'll figure out some sort of way that we can relate it back to the church so we can post it. Yeah, um, you also have a YouTube account here, um, and you, you know, the, the the it's kind of a shame, Richie, that you only have 44 subscribers because all of your episodes here they're on YouTube. 
And it's a shame that uh, more people don't uh, watch that portion. I assume that a lot of people listen to your podcast uh, through uh, Apple Podcasting and things like that and not necessarily YouTube. Is that right? Well, uh, you know, you are uh, a big thing. Uh, you just scooped the cultural hall right now. We actually have never talked about that we have a YouTube channel. So the fact that we have 44, I'm pretty surprised. That's great for not having ever talked about it. Those are people that have just found it. We don't really mention it. Um, I just have sort of put it there in the future hopes that we would make a bigger deal out of it. But for right now, the bandwidth I have is really to just care about the audio component. Um, but yeah, you can find us, uh, the Cultural Hall, on YouTube as well. Now, you're not the only one who covers uh, LDS News, obviously. You have the Church's official account. You have the Desert News. You have KSL. You also have uh, wh who I would assume is uh, your direct competitor this week in Mormons. <laughs> I assume that you're familiar with them. Um, sure. And I just I want to ask you a very pointed question right off the bat here. What makes the Cultural Hall podcast, oh, excuse me, the Cultural Hall show, which is released in podcast form. Thank you. What makes that better than This Week in Mormons or, quite frankly, the Mormon News Roundup? Is Cultural Hall the best LDS news source? And if so, why? Oh, look at you putting me on the spot like that. Sure. Uh, is it the best? And if so, why? You know, I would never be able to say if it's the best. I, But I do say a few things about it. One, I would say that it is the longest running with the same host, the most amount of episodes uh, by the same host, and that is me. Um, the, this Week in Mormons, we were sort of neck and neck. And then uh, when Jeff, who originally uh, started This Week in Mormons with Al, when he decided to sell or give it up to Kurt Frankham from over at Leading Saints, uh, that made that uh, no longer, you know, the case that he was the longest running. So I think that there's that. What makes it what makes it uh, the best? It may not be the best for you. What I what I think uh, what I think makes us the best is um, it's not just about the news that we talk about. It certainly is about the news that we talk about, but it's also about the community that we create. You know, I started this show off with you saying, hey, it's a show that's available in podcast form. It's like a, a, a almost like a TV series where you've been able to follow the different hosts as characters. It's not just what they're talking about, but also who they are as individuals. Um, you know, we had w one host for a long time, very loved by people, and he ended up uh, getting ALS and and uh, you know people were were glued to to hear his story and and heartbroken to you know be able to to know how he has been and other people too another guest you know he or a guest host he um, recently had gastric bypass surgery and so people kind of follow that so if there's something that I think that makes it the best it's that it's not just news and not just interviews it's a community where anyone who uh, who loves the church and likes knowing sort of the weird nuancey you know different things about it whether it's the hardcore church history or the the random you know cultural fact about it they can find a home within the cultural hall that sounds tremendous i definitely have a lot to learn about uh, lds news and um I'm, I'm very humbled to have someone who has your bona fides on the program. Richie, is there anything else about your personal life or religious beliefs that you'd like to share with us before we uh, get ready to do, as you would call it, articles of news? Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else about your personal life that you'd like to, to discuss? I think that people find it pretty interesting, and I've been pretty open about this over at the Cultural Hall. Uh, so if people want to listen, I think it's episode 52 or 54. So a long time ago, I talked all about it and, and make um, short references 
to it in various episodes about the fact that for uh, most of my 20s, so the early aughts, I was excommunicated from the church and then found my way back to the church being rebaptized and then having blessings restored. And, and there's a lot, because we don't talk about that a ton within the church, there's a lot to be discussed with that. I don't think that it defines who I am, but I know that a lot of people have been like, oh, wait, what? You, huh? What is this? Tell me more. So maybe that would be the interesting thing that I would add to it. That, thank you so much for sharing that. That really means a lot. That's very vulnerable, and um, I really appreciate it. I've listened to a lot of uh, episodes of The Cultural Hall, dozens of episodes, and I don't recall you um, talking about that point a lot, and I think that that's uh, very special. So I appreciate your openness and honesty with bringing that up. It's a little awkward to transition from that to the Mormon Joke of the Week, but no, no, no. <laughs> uh, you do have our Mormon Joke of the Week, and here at the Mormon News Roundup, we always have a Joke of the Week. Uh, do you mind uh, sharing yours with us? Okay, well, so I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if it was like a knock-knock and how we do it. So um, you're, you're familiar, uh, Dives, about how uh, Joseph Smith, it's well known that uh, in, the, in the early times that he would do the uh, stick pull with everyone, right? That, sure. was the, that was the game that they would play and, and yeah. he was jovial and everybody liked to do that. Well, you know that um, there is a game that they played in the Book of Mormon too. Did you know that? Mm, no, I didn't, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that one. Boy, I got to refresh my memory there. No, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Yeah, they were knee fights. Well, they also had anti knee fights, too. So well, sure. those are people that just didn't want to play. Okay. <laughs> those, those were people who weren't who were picked last on the school on yes. the schoolyard, I guess. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay, so hey, hopping in the news here this week, we have a couple of follow-ups here that uh, we want to bring up. We did discuss this uh, last week. It's the Utah School District, Davis School District, removed the Bible from some school libraries, mm -hmm. and now it's received a request to review the Book of Mormon. We did cover this last week, but it is hitting mainstream news here. This isn't just being picked up here by KSL, Richie. CNN is picking up on this uh, on this article. It's it's really gone um, it's really gone viral. Well, and the context of it, is, as I understand it, is that they've said, hey, listen, guys, uh, th there was these um, restrictions, these basic things that they said, we do not want our kids to be able to have access to any sort of literature that says blank and blank and blank and blank and blank, right, and, and sort of let out these guidelines. And um, there were some people that were pretty heated about that and then took the opportunity to think about it and say, well, wait a minute. The Bible has blank and blank and blank and blank and blank. And so that's how the original thing started. And now uh, because it's maybe because it's Utah, maybe because they know that it will, um, you know, infuriate or certainly heaten or heighten the, uh, the situation. They've said, hey, look at the Book of Mormon. It's full of violence. It's full of wars and beheadings and, you know, all of these things. And uh, I think it's right that the, you know, the bigger media is starting to pick this up. Because the conversation, um, it needs to be had that when we try and, what, ban something? And, and I don't know where the right thing is. I don't have kids in middle school or elementary school or high school. I'm not sure about that. But I think that when we try to ban something, it only uh, reinforces the other side. And I think that it makes, um, I think that it makes it what, where people just dig in their heels a little bit more. An example that, uh, that I used in a recent episode as we were talking about this is um, the church, we know, very against uh, gay marriage. And the state of Utah actually played a large role in it becoming federally accepted 
for uh for same sex marriage because we pushed so hard against it it ended up not going uh or not taking as long to go through all the process and then it was like no it, it's legal and here we are whereas if we would not have pushed so much so much against it that it uh it you know it might have taken a longer time in the courts and i just think this is another thing that people are saying hey if we take uh, if we take these other books out, then we have to take the Bible out in the Book of Mormon. And already, to split the hair here in the state of Utah, they've said, well, you know, we're going to get a religious exemption. Religious texts don't count. And I just don't think that's fair. If you're banning things for content, you ban all the things for content. Yeah, um, that's uh, there's great sentiments there. The church, one reason I wanted to bring this up is that the church has uh, responded uh, a little bit to the uh, this uh, this censorship in Davis County. And I think one of the reasons that it went uh, national is because Utah is perceived as such a religious state. Mm-hmm. And why would such a conservative state where, you know, Utah leads the nation, the percentage of people who go to church on Sunday, it's something like 49 percent. Why would such a religious uh, perceived religious state ban the Bible and heaven forbid the Book of Mormon? That's why it's received so much traction. And I did mm-hmm. want to bring this up that uh, Todd uh, R. Callister, the former Sunday school general president for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he um, the church did have a, somewhat of, a, of an official response to this. And he said that he strongly endorsed inclu- including Christian texts in public schools. He said the whole purpose of the Book of Mormon and the Bible is to help us become like Jesus Christ. I hope it will be an integral part of our schools, which is not only to give information to our hearts and the greatest care, uh, which is, uh, excuse me, which is not only to give information to our hearts and the greatest character of all is Jesus Christ. A Ted Kalisher said, now, uh, the one reason I brought that up is that this tweet here, it, I don't know, the, the, the reaction from the tweet is very interesting. They said, well, this is LDS leaders not understanding the separation of church and state. What, what's your reaction to all of this, uh, Richie? Well, you know, I, the thing to me is I just don't I, I don't think you can make exceptions. And that and that's the hard thing, because I get it from a religious perspective, you know, a card carrying member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I want people to have Christ in their life. I want them to, you know, have his example to be able to emulate and, and, and be able to follow and and learn more about him. And then, yes, yes, I think so. But but if there are people, uh, say, within the school system that don't believe in Jesus Christ and just look at, you know, this text as, uh, you know, written things of of, um, you know, vulgarity or of violence or of whatever the objections are with the guidelines. You know, those people don't have that same attachment. And if you just look at the base level of does it meet the guidelines to be banned, it does. And, (laughs) And so I just I mean. It, it, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that the state of Utah will likely make a religious exemption, but I, I think an argument can be made on the other hand. So, so take one of the guidelines is um, some level of sexual content, right? So, if I'm a parent and I say, "Hey, I want my kids to be able to have access uh, to this particular book that has some level of sexual content," because I think that that will make them a more sexually responsible person in the world well i think we all want people to be more sexually responsible but then why do you get to tell me that hey i don't get to have this for my kid in the same way that you want it to have you for your kid that they can learn of christ right i it's a it's a tricky thing when you start saying that's okay that's not okay and, and having religious exemptions and i think truthfully i think it's where feelings get hurt and i think the church does itself a disservice Fantastic take, Richie. And you brought us this next article as well here. Uh, Elder Holland here, he's beginning a slow return to service in the 12th. What's going on there, Richie? 
Well, uh, you know, as we dial the uh, clock and calendar back a little bit, uh, and if you remember at this last general conference when watching Elder Holland, there was definitely that moment where you go, ooh, okay, you know, he, he's, I'm not sure exactly how old he is. I'm, I'm assuming mid-80s, though I don't have that exactly in front of me. Uh, having some health concerns, post-COVID kind of things. Um, and, and, and he said, hey, I'm taking, I'm taking a step back, going to focus on my health going to try and get everything right. And, and they relieved him of his duties for I think two months in totality. Yeah. And, uh, and now sort of stepping back into it lightly, stepping back lightly into it, uh, both speaking, traveling and, and being able to do his duties as regularly saw to, to me, I think it's, um, maybe miraculous. Is that the word? We don't use the word miracles very often, but miraculous. I I admit and fully repent of the fact that I thought, oh no, this is when we're losing Elder Holland when they when they said that he was going to step away, but he seems to be coming back and fighting and fighting and doing awesome. And now he'll go back to his duties. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wish him the very best. I think that there is a lot of uh, haters. I, I don't know how to call it any other way. A lot of haters out there who were really nasty about the conspiracy theories with regards mm-hmm. to the COVID and the SUU commencement address um, and him withdrawing from graduation that somehow this was somehow linked and that he was faking the COVID to get out of the SUU commencement. Um, I think that those type of takes are really, really in bad faith. And um, whoever's making those, I, I find that very repugnant. So, you know, is, is there any thoughts on any last thoughts on Elder Holland coming back, Richie? Well, you know, I'm a graduate of Southern Utah University is that and, right? uh, and so to know that he was going to speak at uh, their commencement, I mean, again, I don't know if it's if it's a Utah thing and we just sort of mix these things. I'd love to hear from Elder Holland. But, you know, is it an appropriate thing for him to be speaking at a non-religious commencement? I don't know. Most of the time there are those people that speak are business leaders or thought leaders. And I guess maybe that's where he qualifies. He's certainly he's from St. George. So that Southern Utah part um, makes him relevant as far as that goes. But I I mean, like Elder Holland at BYU or BYU-Idaho or BYU-Hawaii makes sense. I think when we start to kind of bring that out a little bit just to Utah, certainly there's a lot of people that appreciate it. But is it appropriate in a public education setting? And and, and I, I mean, I don't know. It's not to say he's not a good speaker. It's not to say that he wouldn't have great things to say that everyone could benefit from, but is it and does it make sense to have high-ranking religious leaders of one particular uh, faith speak or any particular faith speak at a commencement? Those are absolutely excellent questions, and I don't have the answer to that for you. Oh, I was hoping you had the answer. <laughs> no, Come on. I, don't. I do not have the answer, although I do have a, a great deal of experience and background in higher education. You're asking questions that are beyond my pay grade. Okay. Um, but for our listeners out there, you know, we release these episodes every uh, on Sunday night at 930 in the live chat. You know, let us know your thoughts. You know, should uh, Elder Holland, uh, should he be able to speak at SEU? Uh, or any other religious leader for that uh, for, uh, for that matter. Presumably, most of these speakers, usually a commencement speaker is paid, should we be using at a public university public tax dollars to fund private uh, private religious uh, speakers? That's a question. Put it in the live chat. Let us know your thoughts. We'd be very grateful for this. Well, now, and for, adding and adding one question to that was Elder Holland to be paid? Yeah, don't we don't know. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, but we don't know. But it would be curious to know 
if whenever religious leaders speak at these commencements, I'm sure that, well, I guess I'm not sure. I would assume as much that when they speak at the religious schools that they do not get paid. But I wonder if there is compensation if they step out to any of the public education. It's a good question. Typically, a commencement speaker is paid. As I just said, typically, I don't have any insider information. I don't like to be conspiratorial, but typically that they are. Hmm. Um, you know, you found this other article here, uh, uh, Richie, which I thought was uh, really interesting here. Uh, Navajo translators and experts work to complete the standard works. This is from the Daily Universe. Richie, the, the, the standard works are not in Navajo. That was a surprise. Yeah, to, to me as well. And, and I guess it's just because I mean, I guess this just kind of shows my privilege. I don't know. Uh, it, it's to to know that not everyone can read all of the standard works in their uh, in their native tongue in their language. I uh, it's tremendous that it's being done. It's a it's a work that has been long time coming. Um, several things, especially the Book of Mormon, has been translated for a while. But to have the complete standard works uh, for those Navajo saints to be able to study in their language. Super cool. Couldn't be more excited about something like this. Now, I did a little bit of research on this, and you said the Book of Mormon wasn't translated. That's mostly correct, because it, it, it this is a copy here, for those of you who are on the YouTube, this is a copy of the current Navajo Book of Mormon. Uh -huh. And, it, you know, here's the title page, and it's got the three witnesses, as you'll see here. Um, this was in 1998, Intellectual Reserve here. You'll see there's the three witnesses, there's the eight witnesses. And what, what we see from this particular uh, translation here is that most of, these are the chapters here, First Nephi chapter 1 through 7, then 16 through 18. I know that's a little small here, but most of the Book of Mormon here, Alma, you get uh, various chapters, not much in Second Nephi because of the... Um, because of the Isaiah passages, but most of the Book of Mormon has been translated into Navajo, but not all. Hmm. And as you mentioned, not all of the standard works because, you know, the, the church has been... Um, in uh, working with the Navajo communities for a long time, especially under President Kimball and the so-called Indian Placement Program. This is a video here. I run a second channel, Richie, that's called the Mormon Movie Reviews. And this is a fascinating uh, church, old church video called Bitter Wind. And it depicts uh, Mormon missionaries, uh, I will call them that, LDS missionaries on the Navajo reservation back in the day doing missionary work among uh, indigenous persons. And the church has been working in this community for a long period of time, which is why it was a great uh, surprise to me that it hadn't been fully translated into Navajo, given the church's emphasis on the Indian placement program, especially under President Kimball and President Benson wanted to flood the earth with the Book of Mormon, still hadn't been fully translated. Uh, um, it still hadn't been fully translated. Yeah. And, and, and the other question that I have that sort of surrounds that, too, is, you know, as you indicate that various chapters that had been translated, was it was it, uh, you know, in accordance to like the old mission discussions? Uh, when we had just the six missionary discussions, like are those the complementary scriptures that could be uh, seen and read in those missionary discussions to help, uh, you know, uh, non-members become converted to the faith? And that's why those they chose those particular ones. Are they ones that meant uh, or would mean something maybe more specific uh, to Navajo members of the church or potential Navajo members of the church to be able to read in their own language? That I mean, that's a curiosity that I have. Uh, around those particular chapters already being available. But kudos, we're doing it all. We're going to make it all available. It's all going to be available. And you also found this uh, next article as well here, Richie, which is Music and the Spoken Word is going to pr premiere in Spanish. Um, now, I uh, where did you go on your, I know you're a return missionary. Where did you go on your mission, Richie? I went to Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, okay. I, th I thought it was stateside. So, um, you know, it, you know, I used to be a member of the uh, Orchestra at Temple Square. I did uh, many, many broadcasts of music in the spoken word. It's always uh, has a special place in my heart. 
And as I've mentioned on this podcast a number of times, the one thing that you will never see in the ex-Mormon Reddit is somebody bagging on the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, or excuse me, the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, because everyone loves the Motab. But they're going to be premiering in Spanish. Um, you know, the church is really trying to get international. As you recall from the last general conference, they had those international singers that they brought out. Uh, for the first time, bringing in some international flair into the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or the Tabernacle Choir. It's going to be, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to break that one. It's just, I just, I just remember Tabcats, and that's how <laughs> I'm able to say it, the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. But yeah, it, it's a mouthful. It's just the same with not saying Mormon and saying the full name of the church. We just need to think in abbreviated terms. Yeah, well, I think that the uh, Tabcats are one of the church's greatest asset. And, you know, um, when it comes to making, uh, as we've seen, President Nelson reshaped the Tabernacle Choir's mission statement. That uh, just, uh, I think it was just last year and said that they're going to have a more international focus. They're going to be going on tours more internationally. They're inviting international singers in. They're singing more songs in Spanish uh, and other foreign languages. And we're now we're going to have an entire broadcast in a foreign language. We're seeing a significant departure from what we've seen before. And I see it as only good things. Yeah, you made the mention you think it's one of the greatest assets. I would say it is uh, maybe next to the Book of Mormon, uh, the greatest asset. But I think in, in, in drawing attention to the church, I think it is the greatest asset. It, it's fascinating for me in a couple things. One, uh, that we never had this before. Think of how many Spanish-speaking members of the church there are, and we just hadn't considered that. And I, and I don't know how long this has been coming to be able to get to where we're at. But it's pretty significant. That is one part of it. Second, there's a Portuguese or Portuguese, I know return missionaries, correct me, uh, a version that's going to be coming on after the Spanish sort of launches. And then third, the big deal, I think, is when we watch music and the spoken word in English, it is always uh, Lloyd Newell, a gentleman who says, uh, now from the crossroads of the West, it's going to be uh, four different hosts and a couple of them are women. And I think that's highly significant. And I think that you may, in fact, even see uh, at the point that Lloyd Newell, the um, the uh, music and the spoken word host, the spoken word part of it, when he decides to retire or to take a step back, I think that you'll start to see women uh, appear in the English version. Wow. I, I, I've listened to a lot of episodes of the Culture Hall. I've never heard a prophecy before, but I think I just heard one. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do that. I do that kind of stuff all the time. Very nice. It, now, just, our, never, it just never happens. That's <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just fails to come to pass. Yeah. We'll give you a pass on that. Now, we're, we've entered, we've left the, the area of maybe um, less controversial subject, and we're now, we're getting into more of the controversy here. This is uh, from thepinknews.com here. This was written um, on June 5th uh, by Ape, uh, Amelia Hansford. And this is the title of the article. I'm just reading it off the page. Mormon couple savagely mocked after flying, quote, family values flag, and quote, during Pride Month. So April Wide to Spain has gained an incredible amount of notoriety for posting the proclamation. She made a flag on her front yard, the family and proclamation of the world, and she made it flag size, planted it on her uh, front uh, front lawn. Um, I believe they live in uh, Murray. They live somewhere in the Salt Lake area. Um, and, uh, you know, this has received a huge amount of backlash here. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? I know that you're fully aware of this, Richie. What are your initial thoughts on this? Is this a, a cheap shot here by the Pink News, or what do you think? Well, okay, so you're talking about the headline. I think maybe that's where we start, the savagely mocked. Okay, so that's the Internet. They put something on the Internet, and the Internet reacted, right? To say savagely mocked, I mean, 
people did give them a hard time savagely. I don't know, I don't know that's more savage than anything else. Uh, my thought is this. So we all know June is the, is, uh, the month of pride, right? Pride celebration. It's everything LGBTQ uh, and, you know, typically symbolized by a rainbow flag. You see a lot of rainbow flags being uh, flown. Uh, those that would find themselves within the LGBTQ community or allies too, they want to say, hey, you know what? We see them. We love them. We support them in whatever way that means, and we're going to fly this flag. And and then you sort of have uh, this couple who says, well, hey, you guys are doing your thing. I have the right to do my thing, and they do, to be able to share their flag. I, I, I don't know what they hoped to accomplish, and if I ever got the chance to, to talk to April Despain, that would be the thing that I would ask her. Are you... Do you feel threatened by uh, other people showing support for the LGBTQ community? Do you feel uh, that the family proclamation is in opposition to the LGBTQ slash like rainbow um, in a pride symbol? Do you like what what was the reason to do it? Were you just trying to, you know, be savagely mocked on the Internet? Whatever the thing would be, I would be curious because I don't think. What occurred is that um, someone saw that and went, oh, man, I bet I bet those are really kind, Christian, loving, accepting people. I don't think they did that. And I also don't think that they said, oh, yeah, you know what? I've been doing this whole thing wrong. I'm going to change. Of course. Thank you, flag in your yard. I'm going to start thinking differently. I'm going to no longer or whatever the thing may be. I don't think that it accomplished either of those things. And so I just wonder to to what end did April Despain uh, post that and share that flag? Richie, I can tell you're a pro because you ask all of the best questions, which is why the <laughs> Culture Hall is such a great podcast. And those all, all these questions, I don't have the answers to any of them. <laughs> so, but she did post on Twitter. She did respond. She said, um, uh-oh, all the, quote, inclusive and tolerant have found my tweet and are mocking my family because we dare to believe differently than them. I'm so sad. Oh, well. To all of them, I say this. Here's another pic of us enjoying what we believe about gender, sexuality, identity, and love. Um. Yeah, I, 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 okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's sort of how I feel about it. I will say this, and you haven't brought this up, but this is maybe my favorite part of this story. Has nothing really to do with this story, but I love Photoshop so very much because of this story. If you want to go down a deep dive of how people have taken uh, both like uh, what April's husband, because it's a picture of the two of them standing next to the proclamation, uh, what they put on his T-shirt, what they put on the family proclamation, like kudos to the photoshoppers who are able to put like Adam Lambert, Lady Gaga, uh, you know, bunch of rainbow flags, an invitation to what it's. I I I appreciate that people can do something like that and and hopefully let a little of the pressure out of the situation if it gets a little heated. Yeah, it does. I just want a, cu a couple last takes because this is really taking the Internet by a storm. Here's a, a take here that um, I think is very indicative of what we see. It says uh, uh, a tweet. I'm so sad to see members of a group that was once persecuted punching down on another that is still persecuted. Even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they've been known to update their beliefs about sexuality because there's just been one. There's only one wife in this particular photo. 
Mm. So, um, you know, I, I just want to say one other thing. I, I happen to know um, the husband in the photo extremely well. We graduated, went to the same high school. And um, since she she is just running for school board and his name is, is well known, Tony Despain. I went to him in high school. That's not a secret. I'm not doxing anybody. This is public. He, his wife is running for school board. His name is out there. I went to school with Tony. I was friend, friends with Tony. Um, Tony was a great member of the church. He was a really, really nice guy. He was a very loving person to everyone. Um, I, you know, I haven't talked to him since we graduated. We, we love to play basketball together. And, you know, to see him um, in this situation, it brings up a lot of mixed emotions because I don't want to see my old friend here attacked. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, when is he, I, I don't know, it's hard to read things in, but if you're espousing a belief that seems to be some, what some people would be perceived to be disenfranchising other people, then you're opening yourself up to criticism. So, I mean, I'm, I've really got a lot of mixed emotions here. Another another point worth bringing up is uh, there there are certainly parts of the family proclamation that could stand in opposition to uh, what the LGBTQ community stands for, but not all of it. You know, it it speaks of love. It speaks of you know a lot of these things, and and I don't ever care for things like that to be weaponized. The other question that I would have if I were ever able to sit with April and uh, her husband Tony is is ask. Do you know uh, an LGBTQ individual? Have you asked them what you know behaviors like this do mean, feel like to them? Because I because I can't imagine I can't imagine they've taken much time to do that. Because if they have, and then that person has expressed, "Oh, hey, things like this hurt me," or whatever, then what kind of person are they? And again, this is all a fictitious situation, but I think this applies to all of us as just members of a community or society or whatever. If we know these people, we know that what we do hurts people. And then we go to go ahead and, and do those things anyway, in a very in your face way. What kind of jerks are we to do that? That's not the that's not the way that Christ would want us to deal with that. And I hate to kind of invoke that whole thing, but I, I, it's not the way that is not that is not the thing to do. It's not changing minds. It's not changing hearts. It's not solidifying the this. It's just, you know, being a jerk. This has also led to lawsuits. This isn't just a harmless uh, post of somebody putting up a flag in their yard. This has led to a lawsuit um, uh, from she's being sued here. Miss Despain now is being sued by uh, Jennifer uh, from the school board member because Jennifer put some um, put some rainbow flags in her yard. There was disparaging comments. There was a further legal action. This is not just a flag and somebody, you know, having a disagreement on Twitter. This has gotten legal. This has gotten really, really ugly, Richie. In fact, um, she went on to the Midnight Mormons here just a couple of days ago, April to Spain, to discuss her beliefs. And during that time, um, Richie, she talked about how they, they've been doxxed online. The people put their information out there. This is a picture here of the woman who's planting the gay pride uh, flags in her front yard that, that she didn't want to have being there. She's got death threats. She's worried about her safety. She's this is a lawsuit. This isn't just a simple case of, uh, you know, uh, you live your life. I live mine. We disagree with each other. This has gotten incredibly personal and incredibly ugly. Um, yeah. And it's just I, I can't believe both both. I'm not I'm not equating both sides. But there is some really, really fringe elements here that are just coming out with guns drawn. Any last thoughts on this one, Richie? So I would have to say, to, 
yeah, to the other side of it, I would just say, yeah, guys, you can't go on people's personal property and put flags on. That's ridiculous. That's not that 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 is that is equally don't do that. That you know, do not threaten someone's life. Do not share you know people's personal information there there is a way and we have lost this to be able to have civil dialogue about things that are like hey you know what can we talk about this a little bit can we let's you know let's share let's chat a little bit and and be able to have a conversation and respect one another and their differences not agree with them not say hey you know what i talked to this person and now i'm on in their camp but you don't go on their property you do not put things on their property. You don't tell people, hey, if you want to get at these people, here's where they live. You don't you don't do that. And that's either side, any case, always you don't do that. Yeah, I mean, President Nelson in the last general conference, he talked about having a civil dialogue in his uh, somewhat famous peacemaker talk, which I think a lot of people have said is one of his finest addresses. It mm-hmm. seems like that really uh, people need to take that to heart because um, it seems like that's time for this. And I sincerely hope that um, the resolution of this, that uh, no one is harmed, no one is hurt. And that uh, we can have a more civil dialogue, just as you just said, Rishi. This isn't the only thing that's happening here from uh, Gay, Pri- uh, Gay Pride Month, which is this month. And this was posted here on the ex-Mormon Reddit here. And um, it says uh, some ex-Mormons here are now desecrating temples in honor of Pride Month. Reddit mods have deleted the pic they took. So a couple of people, they went into an LDS temple as sort of a kind of a weird protest for Gay Pride Month. I don't I don't know. It got 2,000 or 3,000 upvotes. They snuck into uh, 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 an ex-member and a never-member, snuck into an LDS temple just to see if they could. Then they uploaded pictures as some, some kind of a weird protest inside of a temple. It seems like this uh, Gay Pride Month, it is really leading to a lot of people, a lot of sick individuals, and just I don't, I don't know what it is about it that it just brings out the worst in some people. Well, and I don't know what you hope to gain with that. I mean, if you YouTube search, you know, show me the inside of uh, of the LDS temple. I mean, you can see those videos. So it's not like they're breaking ground as far as that goes. I think they're terribly disrespectful. I don't think that, uh, you know, people would do that to other faiths. Uh, certainly those that do it to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I think it's just bad behavior. There, there are certainly people that do it, and every, you know, religious group has those that would not care for what they do. I just don't know to what end. Hey, we got in. Okay, you snuck in. I guess there's something, you know, exciting about can we get past the gatekeepers, but it's not, I mean, it's not appropriate. It's not where you want to be. I don't know that there's anything there that I'm like, whoa, I want it, you know, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. I'm glad that it's not anything like that. I'm glad it's just a time for me to learn more about, you know, Heavenly Father's plan and all of those things. I, 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 it is a thing that baffles me as to what is the most disrespectful thing I can do. Oh, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I don't get it. Right. I mean, if you want to protest something or if you want to get your message out, I don't think that doxing people, threatening people's lives, sneaking, you know, uh, breaking into private property. That's not, in my opinion, the right way to if you want to have a social protest of some kind and say um, for 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 for, you know, to protest injustice. That's not the right way to go about it. I think that much is safe. This is not the only thing um, we got uh, with gay pride. We have a lot of uh, um, uh, LGBT stuff that's in the news here. And Richie, uh, Charlie Bird, the famous, uh, uh, famous Cosmo the Cougar, 
He's announced that he's gotten engaged and it's to uh, another man. Um, he's gotten engaged to, oh, gee, I'm sorry. I should have known um, who he's getting engaged to. I'm sorry. I forgot. I think to his Ryan. name is Ryan. Yeah. Yes. To Ryan. Um, and he's posted this on Instagram. And of course, uh, as, as you know, Charlie, who, who uh, excuse me, as, as you know, Richie, who is uh, Charlie Bird? Well, Charlie Bird, probably most popularly known as uh, Cosmo the Cougar, when Cosmo really broke on the scene, went viral on YouTube. Uh, he was the dancer, flipper, all the, you know, just crazy acrobatics, all the uh, acrobatics and things that you would see Cosmo the Cougar do. That was Charlie Bird, went viral for dancing with the Cougarettes. He's an amazingly talented individual, uh, wrote has written two books. One is called Without the Mask, where he talks about, you know, being Cosmo the Cougar. And then most recently ha has written another book where he just discusses very deeply, very vulnerably his um, his homosexuality and, and how he feels like that intersects with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, he wrote, he used to write, um, he has written Deseret News editorials, and those people are curated very carefully by the church. You don't, you can't just be a regular member, but you, um, yeah, he said, you know, would everyone love me once he came out as gay? Because I was behind the mask. And as you mentioned, his book, Behind the Mask, that was a uh, international sensation. And I looked this up earlier in the week, and if you go to Deseret News earlier in the week, you could still purchase it. But if you go to purchase his uh, book, uh, Behind the Mask Now, uh, Richie, Mm -hmm. It's not available for sale anymore. Hmm. Uh, Deseret News has gone ahead and removed uh, his books. All, all of he has a couple of books out, not just Behind the Mask. He has, a, I think, a couple of other books, as I recall. But you can't purchase those on Deseret News anymore. And he mentioned that uh, the reason that he did is that he himself requested to pull the books uh, from Deseret News. So Deseret News did not ask him to pull the books. He, according to this, uh, he. Uh, um, uh, he requested De Deseret News to go ahead and pull those books out of the shelf. So, yes, he's removed himself from Deseret Books. And um, now he is, um, you know, he's got a, a, a YouTube channel here that's called Questions from the Closet. This has been a very popular channel that talks about, um, you know, him and a couple of other folks that talks about the challenges of being gay in the church, how difficult it all is. And um, I just want to play one thing here for you, Richie, which is his Instagram uh, on Instagram. He talked about this little bit of a long clip here, but he talked about the, you know, getting his book pulled, his engagement, and what that's done to himself and his faith. It's about a two-minute clip here, and this is one of the most heart-wrenching um, clips that I've ever watched in my life. This, if if this doesn't move you, I don't think anything will. A lot of people have asked about the temple and what that looks like moving forward, and honestly, I don't know if that's something I'm ready to talk about because it's actually been something really hard about this decision. After I get married, obviously, I, I mean, I'm making a decision that runs contrary to church teachings on marriage, and I will no longer be eligible for a temple recommend, and I won't be able to enter or serve in the same capacity in a temple. And that's really been hard for me. Um, because everything else about my life will be temple worthy except for the fact that I fell in love and married someone who is like the wrong gender, you know? And and people are saying like, are they gonna take the temple recommend? And I'm like, no, they're not, like, because I'll give it up. I I I know the rules and I understand the consequences and I'm not 
gonna fight that. I'm not trying to make waves here. I can honor and respect. But I've mourned that. And I will mourn it. And maybe in the future my temple worship will act like sitting in the parking lot or walking the grounds and just trying to get that peace or at least a piece of that peace and remember the, the promises I've made and try to keep them the best I can. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm really not ready to talk about this. So I'm gonna try to move forward and thanks for asking and caring. Maybe I could revisit it later in a couple months. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of things I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of people have also asked me about church membership and policy and what's going to happen. It's, I don't know, it, it, it's really scary, but it's a decision I have to make for my own peace and happiness. And I wish I didn't have to give so much up. And I wish I lived in a different world where people understood this more. But I don't, and so I just have to do the best I can to try to be happy. And try to still trust God and, and live according to the, you know, the ways that I know how to live and the way I was raised. I'm sorry, I'm really going to have to move on from this because um, this is hard to talk about. That is so hard for me to watch, Richie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, if if people haven't um, and I'm sure that there's that Charlie has made a way available for people to be able to still get his second book. Uh, he and I worked together. Actually, his audio book was recorded in the studio where I'm sitting and doing my part uh, today. So I had the opportunity to firsthand hear him. Um, you know, talk, talk about a lot of these things and between recordings of chapters, be able to ask him uh, about all this. Obviously, he's, since he's been dating Ryan for three years, he, he, you know, he knew Ryan at the time that he was recording this. And I was able to talk about that relationship. And, um, and, and I think it's, it is w one of the hardest things uh, about the church as far as, uh, like things that you just don't understand. Like there, there can be plenty of things that you just don't agree with. But I, I will often say, and I don't agree with this, so let me couch this. Uh, but once upon a time, I think that the church said, hey, you know what? God doesn't uh, create people uh, as gay. People aren't born gay, right? It's a, a nurture thing. And this is a thing throughout history. But the church has long stopped saying that we don't say that um homosexuality is a nurtured based um thing and, and and that for me is where i think the 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 um difficulty the confusion the whatever comes into play because then if the thought is if god created uh someone homosexual and all of the attractions just for the same as a heterosexual person but then said to that homosexual person I, I created you this way, but I don't want you to act in the way that I created you. And in fact, as Charlie sort of puts it, you know, you, you, you will be 
I don't know if punished is the right word, but you, you won't be able to have the same blessings as, as someone else. That to me is one of those things that, that I have yet to make sense of it. Now it hasn't crumbled the, the, you know, the entirety of my faith and all those things, but it is, and especially having the opportunity to hear it, you know, in person from Charlie talking about uh, Ryan and his choices and all the things and everything like that to me, to me, knowing the loving God that I know, it's a thing that it's easy for me to say something like, oh, well, maybe it just isn't time for the, the church to do something about it and kind of have hope for it. It it also isn't uh, too far removed for me to think, oh, you know, the church may never do anything about homosexuality uh, or, or, you know, making it available for temple and marriage and all those things. But it is a, it is a large thing for me that I just go, I, I don't, don't quite I don't have the peace it, it hasn't made sense to me it hasn't resolved it is it is very much an open thought and subject for me yeah you uh, thank you I really appreciate your uh, insights on that especially since you know him personally and speaking of where you can find his books now he has uh, just this last couple of days here he started a website called mrcharliebird.com and that's where you can buy his two books now his books are expanding the borders of Zion uh, a Latter-day Saint perspective on LGBT, LGBTQ inclusion. And then probably his most famous book here uh, is Without the Mask, coming out and coming into God's light. So yes, you can purchase those books, even though he's removed them from Deseret Book, you can still buy them. And by the way, Richie, um, when it comes to David Archuleta, David Archuleta's books, they still are in Deseret Book, even though he has come out and says that he's gay and that he's quote unquote done with the church. So I, you know, I, I don't think that we can just rush out and throw Deseret books under the bus because it was Charlie who said that he wanted those uh, removed off of there. And, you know, this really brings up the question for me um, and some other people. Um, and I, I know this sounds maybe kind of crass or insensitive, but Thoughtful Saint tweeted this out right away. He said, will there be a membership council? Hmm. What do you think? Uh, no, not until he's married. And then I think depending on, uh, you know, unfortunately, depending on whether the bishop wants to follow it up or not, because that's in, entirely uh, contingent on the on the bishop and on the stake president. But you know, to this point, and until the until he gets married, there there is no sort of issue. As he mentioned, he lives a, a temple worthy lifestyle. But at the point that he decides to marry Ryan, and that has officially officially been done, that is in direct. Um, you know, uh, direct, what, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> indirect uh, opposition is the word I was looking for. Indirect opposition uh, to what the church says. And and so, yeah, they're very much open for church discipline. Uh, if Were I a stake president, would I, uh, you know, pursue that? I, I, don't, I don't think that I would, but I know plenty of stake presidents who probably would undertake that. And part of that, I think, depends on uh, whether Charlie and Ryan are, uh, you know, going to church and trying to have callings and, and, and what they want their level of the church to be. I think that most likely if they're trying to, to um, you know, act as though nothing is different and still want to have callings and be able to serve and do all that, I think that that probably forces the hand a little bit, unfortunately, of the the leader. But if they you know, go inactive, which would be 
a, a terrible tragedy and not, again, what I think God would want them to do to disassociate themselves from fellow saints. I, I, th- I think it's less of an issue. But the, one of the big things of kudos for me is that, you know, uh, Charlie has said, hey, I recognize Deseret Book that, you know, what I am is in uh, direct opposition to what the organization that owns you is. And so I'm going to have the integrity and I'm going to remove it. And that's no sort of dig at David Archuleta with his book still being available. But I think that there's a a, a huge opportunity to celebrate the integrity that Charlie has. And that just kind of tells that, I mean, that to me is just yet another reason why I would want someone like Charlie Bird sitting next to me in the pews. Yeah, uh, now I looked this up in the uh, Church's Handbook of Instruction because um, I'm not as familiar with this as uh, maybe you are or some other people are, but there are certain um, actions by members that will require a, they used to call them a disciplinary council, now they call them a membership council. And these are the actions which will require uh, a membership council. And these are, this is the total list here. It's murder, rape, sexual assault conviction, child or youth abuse, abuse of a spouse or another adult, predatory behavior, incest, child pornography, plural, excuse me, plural marriage, serious sin while holding a prominent church position, and most felony convictions. So if you simply go off the church's handbook of instruction, a uh, same-sex marriage, that is not, that, that does not automatically trigger a membership council. Okay, so in some ways, I guess that is good news for Mr. Bird, and that's an education to myself. Any, any yeah, thoughts on that? I- that that surprises me because I I remember sort of as we were in the early teens of uh, the 2000s that I thought it was an automatic uh, if you in uh, married someone of the same sex it was an automatic thing I wonder if maybe it's in a different part of the uh, the handbook or maybe it's maybe it's just something that they changed and that we don't necessarily uh, recognize until we get to this point but yeah I'm, I, I'm looking I, at I, this. I believe that that was during the policy of exclusion. During the policy of exclusion, a civil union or a same-sex marriage resulted in required membership council, or back in that time, they called it excommunication. Mm -hmm. And after the policy of exclusion was rescinded in 2019, that is when I believe that the automatic, uh, either a civil union or a gay marriage would trigger an automatic membership council. So I believe that that is the answer. If if any of our uh, listeners out there or um, viewers out there uh, can top me on my knowledge on that, I'm definitely willing to be corrected. Yeah. And well, hallelujah. If that's not the case, great. I Great. Now, we, there's we, one we, other caveat here, uh, Richie, and I also looked this up, and then we're going to wrap it up on this one. There is a table in the member in the handbook that says when a membership council is required or may be necessary. And hmm. if you look at this uh, for uh, when it may be necessary, it says cohabitation, civil unions and partnerships and same sex marriage and mm. it says it may, is required or may be necessary so mm. because it's in this particular heading where it's a little ambiguous it doesn't say it is or it doesn't say that it isn't it's still um definitely as you mentioned up to the stake president or the bishop a- any last thoughts here uh, richie on charlie bird especially since you know him and um this entire situation uh I, I mean my heart goes out charlie bird is not the only one who experiences this and i i you know, think think about this in our heterosexuality. I, I'm assuming that about you, DVAs, but I, I don't know that. But I'm going to, that's, to, that's to, right. to expand that out to say, think if what you were asked to choose 
is, are you married, Dives? Yes. Yeah. So think about you, you look at your wife and you go, oh, I can either choose to be with you or I can choose to be able to have all uh, of the blessings and powers and things that the church provides. And I, at very least, I hope that that allows you some empathy to those that are in that situation. It's not just Charlie. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for your take on that. Now, our next item of news, and I know that you've covered this very well on the Cultural Hall podcast here, is Lori Vallow. Um, she's back in the news again. Idaho judge has set the 2024 trial date for Chad Daybell, who's accused of uh, multiple felonies, including the deaths of uh, his, uh, J.J. Vallow, Tylee Ryan, and Tammy Daybell. I know that you've been following this very carefully. For Lori, the death penalty was taken off of the table for her uh, particular trial, but it's my understanding is that the death penalty has not been taken off of the table for Chad Daybell, which is why some are speculating that he may come to a negotiated uh, agreement with the state of Idaho, giving all of the information regarding these heinous, these potentially or alleged heinous acts in exchange for, for going to trial, putting the victims through another traumatized situation, and he will uh, plead guilty to uh, and receive a life imprisonment. What are your thoughts on Chad Daybell and the Doomsday Mom going back on the trial here um, next year? I don't think it'll happen. I think he'll plea, and I think it'll be done. I think, you know, they have until April before the trial is supposed to start. It's like a 10 or 12-week trial because life, or I'm sorry, the death penalty is on the table. We saw uh, Lori Vallow guilty on all charges and implicated in all of that is Chad uh, Daybell to be complicit, to be an accomplice, to be in some ways, maybe the, the brain behind the whole thing. Um, I, I don't think that you will see him go to trial. I think that you will see him plea probably about January, February, save the taxpayers money. He'll be in life uh, in jail for the rest of his life. But I don't think that you will see that trial occur. I really hope not. I really hope that we can just wrap this up as soon as possible and potentially that justice will be served. And that hopefully that justice would, for me, that justice would be Chad Daybell behind bars for a very, 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 very long time. Yeah. Now, our next article here, and this uh, this really just has not hit the mainstream news, but I thought it was really important. And this is the 21st Century Saints who run a popular YouTube channel and Facebook page. They have announced this and they kind of uh, I don't want to say put the cart before the horse, but before they, they have announced that starting um, very, very soon next month, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the United Kingdom will start requiring background checks on individuals at the ward and the stake level who will be interacting with children because prior to this time, the church has not done so. And this is a really, uh, there's gonna be an increased level of safeguarding. There'll be safeguarding specialists to be called in every stake. There'll be additional training requirements. Um, this is something that the 21st century states have really been, um, I wanna say crusading on. They have really dedicated years of work into getting these background checks um, for these children and other vulnerable populations. And um, now we haven't seen an announcement from the church or from the so-called mainstream media, but they seem to think that it is an absolute slam dunk. And this, for me, is a uh, major win for everyone who's involved. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a ma it's a major slam dunk for the church. And I I would imagine it's coming to the United States. There are states here in the United States that require this. You know, a few years ago, the church implemented the 30 minute training that you have to do online if you're calling uh, revolves anything around children. We changed to having the two deep teachers to uh, make sure that there's always another adult in the room. We've put in a lot of safeguards. 
you will see background checks become a mandatory thing in the United States in the next five years with without a question. And the church will pick up the, the price tag for it as they should. And it's not going to solve all the problems. It's not going to, you know, people can have a background check and something cannot pop up. People can have feelings that they've never acted on before and it doesn't get caught in a background check. All of the things that people will say to say, oh, hey, you know what, that's what, you know, that's not going to cure it all. You're right, it won't. But you know what it does do? It does help weed out some. And you might recognize that if we can save the one, that it's worth it. So background checks in the next five years, guaranteed. Yeah, she recently appeared here uh, on uh, uh, Mormon Stories and talked about how um, activism called Mormon background checks in the UK with the 21st century saints uh, keeping LDS children safe. And last year, this group called the Brit Bengers, they sent letters to every single bishop and stake president in the United Kingdom advocating for children and saying, hey, we need to have proper safeguarding measures. And it really seems to me, Richie, that this has been done at the grassroots level. And um, as we're as you're, I'm sure you're aware, very few things happen from the ground up in the church. But mm -hmm. this seems to have been an exception to the rule. Um, why is it that um, the grassroots stuff doesn't usually percolate up? And um, why is this an exception? Yeah, you know what? I would disagree with that sentiment, actually. I would think that most of the things within the church, uh, although they come from the top down to say, hey, here is the change, I think that m most, I could not say all, but I think most things come because members of the church draw uh, leadership's attention to it, and then leadership makes a declaration. Um, now, Richie, it's interesting that you say that uh, so many things come from the ground level up. That's that's an interesting sentiment because um, it, it kind of recall uh, it brings my mind back to uh, Brother Amon Corbett last year when he addressed the chaplains, and he said that in my view, activism towards the church is one of the most masterful deceptions of our time. He seems to be saying that no, you shouldn't have activism like the 21st century saints have. You shouldn't have a grassroots level. Things should be coming from the top down. And also Elder Oaks from his uh, famous uh, uh, quote there from Opposition in All Things, he talked about how some um, opposition uh, to church leaders comes from church members. Some who use personal reasoning or wisdom to resist prophetic direction give themselves a label borrowed, for, borrowed from the elected bodies, quote, the loyal opposition, end quote. However appropriate for a democracy, there is no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom where questions are honored, but opposition is not. And that's my, my question to you is, it seems like the 21st century saints, after a multi-year activism at the ground level, that they were the loyal opposition, that they did have an activism type of mentality. They call themselves activists, and it has led to positive change. But the church leaders are saying that, no, we shouldn't have activism. No, we shouldn't have a loyal opposition. We should just wait for church leaders. There seems to be a disconnect in between these two. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so to I would, I would concur with your statement in that I would say, uh, yes, the changes should come from the top down. I don't know if it is, and maybe you've experienced this in your life, it isn't until someone says something to you about maybe something that you do or didn't do that you go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I will never do that again. I'm sorry that I said that thing that was hurtful. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't do that thing. I didn't even know that you wanted me to do that thing, whatever that thing would be. It would be ideal if I was a good actor in all situations uh, to be able to, to you know, to, to walk that way. The, the fact of the matter is I don't think um, that the church knows about it. And, and I don't think that they can know about it. That's no sort of slight about it, but it is members of the church that go, hang on guys, 
elders, presidents, apostles. This is not this this is an issue. And you need to hear why this is an issue and what the issue is. And then yes, the change, you know, we shouldn't as members of the church, we shouldn't say, you need to change this right now and this is how you need to change it. Okay, I'm willing to acquiesce how and when it gets changed um, by the leadership, because that's how the leadership structure is. But but they need to do that, especially if, you know, people are being hurt. There's a cases of abuse. There is anything um, that could be absolved, changed, um, you know, made made differently by a decision from church leadership. So yes, I agree with you. They should. I think that activism uh, is is the way that they're able to know about it. And maybe they mean activism like picketing and you know pitchforks and parades and all of those kind of things that would be maybe overtly activism. But I I think that maybe yeah again just the, the term of what you think activism is. I think that we don't know if people don't bring our attention to it. Now, our next article here, and you brought this to my attention, Richie, is the Guam Temple. What's going on there? Well, you know, the Guam Temple, not uh, not a very old temple, but uh, in the path of a typhoon. And uh, this is back a couple weeks ago in the last part of May. A lot of the, um, you know, the not infrastructure. What's the word I'm looking for? The um, landscaping uh, around the temple, beautiful trees, all the things. If you imagine any temple that you've ever been to. We make them beautiful. The area around the temple and the grounds of the temple um, obliterated. This typhoon looks like it was crazy. The temple itself, not damaged, um, stands as a beacon for the community, which a lot of people really love the symbolism of that. But most, if not all, of the landscaping around the Yigo Guam temple just just devastated by this uh, this horrible typhoon, a great opportunity for members of the saints to be able to gather and to work together. And you see just a tremendous example of, of community coming together and, and making that right. But it'll be a little while before that temple can reopen because they've got to take care of, there was flooding. So I guess that's sort of damage, but no structural damage to the temple and, and they'll get that put together. And then the saints will be able to enjoy that temple again. And this is not the only temple that's in the news. Now, this has been in the news quite a bit here. And this is the Cody, Wyoming temple. I know you've talked about it. We've talked about it. But I, I thought there was a very interesting development that happened, a little bit of a wrinkle that happened in it this week. Uh, what happened here, Richie? Well, so wrinkle, I may need to ask you a little bit because maybe I don't have the entire thing. But what happened was is uh, with every temple, what the church does is they appropriate the land. They say, hey, we're going to purchase this land. This is where this is going to be. And people go, ah. And then uh, they say, hey, and this is what this temple is going to look like. And depending on the zoning and restrictions, et cetera, where temples are going to go, they are subject to uh, the rules of that particular area. So uh, the Cody, Wyoming temple, if you've ever been, you don't know Wyoming. There, it's not much. It's pretty rural out there. Uh, this is going to be one of the smaller temples. And um, the building code says that no building in the, the city of Cody can be uh, taller, I think, than like 30 feet. It's not very tall. Uh, the steeple of the Cody, Wyoming temple that was proposed was to be 110 feet. And, and so uh, that was some of the issue for people. But also, because it's going to be put in a very rural area of Cody, people are saying, hey, you know what? The, 
this doesn't really fit here. This doesn't make sense to be doing what you're doing here, coming into the community and building this thing. And and that was the um you know that was the detractors, the naysayers towards the temple. There were lots of members of the church, obviously in Cody. That's why they're building a temple. They're saying, hey, come on, let us do it. And they were going to just kind of plow through and say, hey, this is it and approve it. But what they decided to do was to hold an open house and invite members of the Cody, Wyoming community to come in. And and um, I think it's Elder Anderson is his name. Yes, it's Elder Anderson. Elder Anderson, one of the church spokespersons. So that's right. It's unprecedented because the church, just like you said, they, they announced it. It was met with a little bit of opposition and they pulled back the plans. They said, you know what? We need to have more of a dialogue here. We're going to talk to um, the city commission. We're going to maybe revamp our architectural plans. We want to have the, you know, our church spokesperson is on the ground here. So for members, for non-members, anyone who's coming into the stake center, which is adjoining of where it's going to be, and they're going to be able to interact with them at the church spokesperson, look them in the eye and say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, this is going to affect me in this way. You know, there's going to be increased traffic on the street. That may cause me some issues. And they'll be able to have a real dialogue here instead of just trying to push things through which is where we've seen in um, some other places that was maybe not well received or was not, um, I don't know, maybe burned a little bit of bridges. Here in Cody, we're seeing the church really tiptoeing around and really trying to take people's uh, sentiments into consideration, which I think is a very positive step forward. A any last thoughts on this uh, Wyoming temple here, uh, Richie? Uh, the only thing that I would add to it is, is that I hope that it is in good faith that they're talking with people and that there is a potential that they could change it. What I would, would hope is not the case is that they're saying, yeah, we're having this open house and we'd love to do it. And then they just continue to do the thing that they originally suggested that made people upset and then said, hey, deal with it. I think that we can have these symbols of, of our faith and these you know, houses of the Lord in these communities, and they can be a great, great, great uh, contribution to the community. But if it, if it doesn't fit, it, it, you know, I think that we need to be aware, self-aware, um, and kind enough to be like, hey, you know what? It, it is a house of the Lord in this particular community. This is what this community looks like. And we want to not make it look like every building there because it should be different, but to have it make sense for the community in which it resides. And we should respect that. And be part of a collaborative effort yes. instead of instead of a, a kingdom slash fiat. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I'm not saying that that's what the church has done in the past, but um, I think this is a great step forward and is a model for how, especially since we saw the backlash from the Heber Valley Temple in particular, where I don't think, I think the church learned their lesson from the Heber Valley Temple and the way that they approached that. And um, I think that uh, it's a positive step forward. Now, our last article here, uh, 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 which I think is actually, I think it's the most important article of the week, believe it or yeah, not. When we chatted before we started recording this episode, you said, man, this is the deal. This is the big thing. And so I'm excited because I thought it was cool. I thought it was great. I don't think it's the big thing. So I want to be, I want to know why you think this is the biggest story of the week. I definitely think that this is the biggest story of the week. And I think, honestly, I think it's one of the bigger stories of this year. And the reason for that is this is really unprecedented. Elder Soros of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles here, he's interviewed by international TV network in Chile. Now, unfortunately, a full transcript of this is only available in Spanish. And the full interview is also only available in Spanish. I could not find an English translation of this. We only have the church news summarized, um, his summarized talking points. But I think it is a very, very big deal. And one of the reasons is, and I'm, I'm going to test you here a little bit, Richie, there's only been one time this year in which a senior church leader has taken, uh, real, uh, has taken any questions from the media, 
And this is only the second time. Can you name the first time? It was Elder Bednar, I want to say, correct? Uh, Richie, that was last year. That was last May. Oh, uh, close, though. That was the second to the last one. You're very, very close. That was the second to the last one. But there's only been one time this year other than Elder Suarez in which a senior church leader has taken any questions. And I I won't leave you hanging, but it's the 60 Minutes piece with Bishop Waddell. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Yeah, he took questions from the media. Yes, he did. But yeah, I guess I I was thinking more... more uh apostles rather than that but you're right you're right in that in that piece about uh, the finances and the church he absolutely but but also different and i think that with, this is maybe why i thought it was more significant this was live with elder suarez whereas you know that that those comments from bishop waddell were very much what are you going to ask me and i will answer that specific question that definitely is the case. Well, I, I don't know if that's 100% the case in the 60 minutes, but I think that there were some things that uh, they probably pre-agreed to. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder with this Elder Suarez, because again, I don't have the full transcripts. I don't believe that it was a all, all hand, um, any question, no no holds barred type of sure. situation. I believe that it was somewhat curated. So, But if you think about it, look, in my opinion, the presiding bishopric, those are senior leaders of the church. Yes, we have the quorum of the 15, but they're also the top three. We really have the top 18. So yes, but he fair only appeared at point. He only appeared on the 60 minutes. That segment was only 14 minutes long, and he only appeared in about a quarter of it. So what do we have up until this point for senior leaders of the church interacting with the media? We have four minutes this year hmm. up until this Elder Suarez. And that, that he, he spent about 40 minutes on this program. So we literally 10x'd the amount of media interviews that we had this year from this one interaction. Okay, right. That's why I think it's a really big deal. Yeah. Okay, okay, so all um, right, you win, you win. It's a big deal. <laughs> I acquiesce, you won, you got I, it. I, I just, I, you know, I'm going to make a TikTok out of this that the Mormon News Roundup defeated the cultural hall. I just want to make you. sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it could be my only win, so I just, I'll take what I can get. Um, but yeah, so what? Uh, also during the same time, he was on a three-country ministry here, and he visited with the president of Uruguay here, um, hobnobbing with uh, foreign government leaders here. And what did he actually say? Well, what he actually taught about on um, what the, the transcript, the, the only transcript that we have or the English rendering that we have from the is from the church news. He talked about what I would consider very uh, unlike, as you mentioned, Elder Bednar last year in the National Press Club briefing, who had a wide ranging interview, which included a number of controversial subjects. Elder uh, Suarez, he seemed to have been playing it very safe. He talked about changing lives as missionaries. He talked about helping youth serve. He talked about how, um, you know, people need to be spiritual people. He talked about building good habits as young adults. He talked about a number of uh, his, he he bared his testimony on the the Gracias por Estar uh, 13 Años program here. Um, I would say, um, you know, he gave a four country family home evening. He played it, in my opinion, very, very safe on this particular interview. However, I still think it is a win because, like I said, you, you, you have a senior member of the church who is putting himself out there in a situation where you don't know what's going to happen. It's live TV. You know, you could tell him, hey, I want you to stick to the script. But, you know, journalists, they don't always do that. Sure. Sure. OK. All right. It's a big deal. Big news story of the week. That one right there. Yeah. Uh, just a couple last thoughts on this particular story. And this is if I if I was a journalist on, um, you know, if, if I was a journalist in um, on Chile News, you know, I would have asked about the SEC fine didn't come up or enzyme mm-hmm. peak or transparency, gay rights, women's rights, racism in church history, polygamy, global warming, abortion. Remember, Chile is a very Catholic country. None. It appears that none of those topics came up 
And usually when it comes to journalists, they want to have the most controversial topics because that's what leads to people watching your program. So it seemed to me that this was a very, um, is it safe to say it was a softball interview? Yes. But that's better than nothing. Now, yeah. a, couple, a couple of other thoughts uh, while, while we're wrapping all this up, because Elder Schwartz, I think is very important here. Now, he served, um, I believe he served his mission um, when he was 19 years old in Chile. He has a great deal of background and experience in the country. Chile has the highest number of members per congregation in the entire church, 1,050 members per congregation in Chile. That means that the uh, total number of members per congregation in Chile who actually attend, it's uh, really higher than any other chapel, any other place, because 1,000 people can't fit in a chapel. So the inactivity rate in Chile is higher than any other countries. In fact, some anecdotal information talked about how 50% of church members in Chile are in the lost members file uh, uh, department. Hmm. In fact, just real quick, you know, only 0.9% of people in Chile consider themselves to be Latter-day Saints, whereas the church claims 3.3% of people. So what I'm trying to say is in Chile, we have the greatest disparity between the church claiming four times the amount of members that, that they think of themselves. There's a fourfold increase. So if I was a journalist asking a Chile specific question, I would ask Elder Suarez, why is the inactivity rate in Chile so stunning? Why is there over 1,050 members in Chile and has more members per congregation than any other country? That's just what I would ask him as a Chile specific question. Of course, I would want to ask him about a lot of those other things that I talked about. Um, and, th- and that's that's why I'm I'm bringing all this up. You know, it didn't sure. happen and I really wish that it would have. Sure. You know, um, just a couple of other things. If you think about, uh, you got the David Bednar, we have the, the last times that the church, le- uh, church leaders have taken questions from the media. What are the last times that they have? We already identified that we had Bishop Waddell. He took uh, questions from 60 Minutes. We had David Bednar, who was last May, he took questions from the media. When David Bednar did the Washington DC temple, he took questions from the media. And then I'm really stretching here, Richie, but you have your pulse on LDS News. What is the one prior to that? There was only one in 2021. I'm putting you on the hot seat here, but can you name it? It's, uh, I don't remember the forum, but it's Elder Oaks. Very impressive, Richie. University of Virginia, November 2021. So like I said, from November 2021 until now, we've only had four or five times where senior leaders have taken questions from the media. And um my question is to you, you know, what, why why can't elders why can't we have more than just one basic interview this year? Why why can't we have remember those days in President Hinckley? Why can't we go back to those days? Uh, I think that it's media savvy leaders is a hundred percent what it is. And I think that the world has, as you mentioned, uh gone to a world of uh clicks, get, you know, leads, get, you know, uh people's eyeballs on things. I think that uh the church becomes ultra vulnerable when they put themselves in a situation that someone can ask them whatever they would like and they want to control being able to talk about that or not talk about that. Should they do more media appearance? Yes. Do they? No. Will they? No. Not until <laughs> not, not until uh, someone who can handle in the way that President Hinckley could handle the media can handle the media. We won't do that. And that's David Bednar. And that's I think David. so. I think, I think that that is 100% Elder Bednar's way of doing it. Yes. And knowing that he will be the invent, eventual, you know, barring some sort of medical calamity, the eventual prophet of the church, I can, I can see that being a time when that swings back that way. 
Yeah, um, I mean, gone are the days when uh, President Hinckley went on NBC with uh, Tom Brokaw and for a wide range, multifaceted interview. Remember, he also, President Hinckley, went on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace. He went mm-hmm. on CNN with Larry King, where a wide variety of controversial topics was discussed. Those are the golden days. And for me, that's really the reason that President Hinckley is my favorite president of the church. Hmm. And that's also the reason that David Bednar, for me, is the favorite apostle, because I like people who will give me transparency and can handle the hot questions. Now, yep. um, I'm, oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't. I was going to say, I, I, I appreciate that, too. And now I think you're going to give me some hot questions. You're going to put me on the seat, huh? OK. Uh, yeah, you've been very good. You've, you've hung with me. So let me ask you just a couple of uh, a couple of tough, tough questions. Uh, uh, you know, you've been a good sport, so I really appreciate that. So let me give you a potentially difficult question, especially with uh, Elder Suarez. Elder Suarez was complicit in a decades long investment deception, which caused the church and the EPA to be fined and reprimanded by the SEC. He has taken no personal responsibility for his actions. Does that taint his teachings on morality and ethics on live Chilean TV? and the three country ministry that he just concluded. So uh, that that is under the assumption, and I, uh, I'm i not entirely, you know, I, I don't know who knew what when, but that is under the assumption that when it was approved by senior leadership that the um, those various, um, what, nonprofits that were established to be able to kind of disperse the funds, that that's what we got fined for recently with the church with the SEC. That's assuming that the lawyers, as the church claims, said to them, hey, this is what they're doing, and this is illegal, and the elder Suarez was one that said, yeah, go ahead and do that. that w- that's the assumption of what you're saying as far as complicit goes. Did he know and did he knowingly say it? So, so the answer that isn't really an answer to your question is if he knew what the church was doing was illegal and said, yes, I approve of that thing that we're doing, which is illegal. Yes. I, I, I don't know that it taints, you know, if he's saying this, something that is a true doctrine uh, and gospel principle of the church, I don't think that that makes that not a true doctrine or principle of the church. But I, I do think that if he is telling people to be honest in their dealings with their fellow men, and he was not, I think that that's a, a, a severe breach of integrity. That's a that's a wonderful answer. Two other hot seat questions for you here, Richie. Now, I listened to your last Cultural Hall episode. You've done 700 episodes. That is mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. You have to have done more uh, LDS podcasting episodes, except for John DeLynn. You've got to be second, right? You've got to be sure. number two. Sure. That's absolutely incredible. I'm at a humble 60. I have a lot to learn from you. Um, I just want to say one thing about that particular episode, and I know maybe this sounds petty to you, but I, during that episode, you um, gave the specifics of the full name um, of uh, Ed Willis and his book, who was a member of the Black Panthers who converted to the church, and then Deseret Book is now carrying his memoir. But when talking about coming onto this program, you refused to say the name of the Mormon News Roundup, and you just c- called it an LDS news program, and you also refuse to speak my name, just referring to me repeatedly as some guy or that guy. And mm-hmm. am I wrong and egotistical to think that that's just a little bit weird? Well, well, I, uh, are you wrong or egotistical to think that's a little weird? No, I think it's weird. I'll tell you why I did that. Um, there are a lot of times will people, when people will say, hey, come do this thing with me, that never comes to pass. And so I guess... You know, I didn't. I didn't think about it uh, all too altogether that much. 
um, it was not a, a deliberate, any sort of anything. I guess my thought was, Hey, if this comes about, we're going to promote that. I, you know, came into the Mormon news roundup. The next time we do an articles of news, I'll say, Hey, you know what we, you know, I went and I appeared and people can find it and be able to promote it that way. I guess in the half a second that I thought about whether I would say it or not, it was, I'm not positive that this is going to happen. And so I didn't want to promote a thing that I wasn't going to be a part of. And that maybe is just the pessimistic uh, part of me that goes, well, I don't know, maybe it won't, maybe we're not going to connect. Maybe it won't work out. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there will be that on the other side saying, hey, and if you haven't checked this out, make sure that you do. It's the Mormon News Roundup, and that will be there. Thanks, Richie. One last, my last hot seat question for you. Okay. And I promise this will be the last one. Now, I've listened to dozens of episodes of the Culture Hall, and I don't remember ever you inviting someone on the show who isn't either currently attending church or is, um, uh, you know, or maybe somebody who's a former member or an ex-member of the church. Is that deliberate? And if so, why? So, uh, I, as I said at the very beginning, we we try and find any sort of um, connection to the church. So most of our guests are uh, faithful members and attending members of the church. Uh, some we expand uh, out to people that have um, left the church and then maybe come back or were excommunicated from the church and we talk about their experience. Um, but yeah, to your point, it is rare. It is not. It has not never happened. Um, but it is only a handful of times where we have someone that has never been a member of the church uh, on to talk about um, something within the church. Very rare. We had a, um, a, a, a Baptist um, chaplain come in, a woman who does um, improv in Chicago came in. Jim Gaffigan is another one. He's never been Mormon, but Mormon people love him. Wow, uh, I got to go yeah. back and listen to that episode. Yeah, we recorded it in the middle of the night, but I mean, it, it does happen. We still talk about faith with all of those individuals, but most people uh, have a connection. For, for instance, and this is how we kind of brought it in with uh, the improv woman. Her name is Susan Messing. Um, she was raised next to the stake president uh, in her particular area, so she knew all about the church, and so we talk about that. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, a beloved comedian who works clean, who is loved by the LDS community. That's sort of how we brought that in. But yeah, most of the time, it's someone who is either a member or been a member of the church. Well, Richie, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Mormon News Roundup. We made it through. It actually happened. Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for ruminating with me on the great and spacious beehive. And remember, remember, no one how of hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for, for supporting us on Patreon.com. Thank you.